0: You're listening to the exchange, and here's your host, Dr. Lorraine.
1: So I wanted to go into my next question because um even though I have not heard this, I know there are some of my friends who have mentioned, ask him about the chair principle. Yeah, Can you yeah. Explain <laughs> the chair principle. Because you're gonna want to know. So I have no idea what the chair principle is, but I have full confidence in my friends who have said, ask him. Brother Wilson, what it is, and you're going to want to know. It's going to be good. So
0: We may have to do a part A, a and a part B <laughs> if I go really in depth to it. But the chair principle, uh, I'm so glad you asked, because it was a life-altering moment for me. And mm-hmm. so uh, when I was family pastor for nine years and then studied counseling, I did all the premarital marital counseling that a licensed professional counselor would have. Uh, I did a lot of the counseling. So I did all the premarital counseling, counseling for marital couples, I've got into counseling for other churches in the area. I don't do any of that anymore. So I refer all that to my wife. Uh, and uh, so I, I, but I did a lot of it back then. So I was asked to, um to counsel a couple. I did not know them. And uh, they're their, one of their pastors contacted me. And the situation was, was that the guy had had an affair a little over a year into his marriage. They stayed together for about three months Um it just wasn't a good situation. Then they separated, and they have been separated for eight months, living in different towns, went back to their prospective churches. And so I was asked to to meet with them. So I come walking into the office to meet with them. Uh, I borrowed an office from someone. And um, the man comes in and sits down on the, in the couch. And his wife, I'm expecting her to sit down on the couch, you know, maybe at the other end. You know, It's a pretty bad situation. She finds a chair as far away from him as she can get. In the office, and I'm sitting in the chair facing him, and she's way over to my uh, to my right. And so I started asking questions, and the man was crying. He was apologetic. He said, "I sinned. I messed up. I begged my wife for forgiveness. I want to make this work." And I could I couldn't get her to hardly look up. She just was staring down at the ground. I'd ask open-ended questions. She'd find a way to close them so fast. I mean, very short answers. And after an hour, I didn't feel like I got anywhere. And so that was the end of our first session. We met the following week, and um, the same exact thing took place. He walks in, out in the couch. She's in the chair, far away from where she can get. And um, it just wasn't going anywhere. I'm 30 minutes into it. And it was just a repeat. And I'm like, God, I don't have training for this. I, I don't know. Everything that I know to do, I've done. I don't know what to do to help this couple. This is a bad situation. And I pray. I said, God, give me some direction. And the Lord gave it to me, but it was just like a portion. It wasn't all of it. And I acted on the portion that God gave me. And I stood up and I walked behind the chair I was standing in. And I said, I want you all to imagine there's only one chair in this office. I said, who's going to sit in this chair? And I said, is it you or is it you? And then I walked around, and I sat down in the chair and I said, sir, I said, I see you saying I'll be the one who sits in this chair. And I said, because you're, you're saying I've done asked for forgiveness. I've done, done everything I can do. I've, I've gone back to my pastor. I've, I've done everything. And I'm not moving any further. So you are going to orbit around me. And I got up and I started walking around the chair. And I said, ma'am, I said, I see you saying I forgave you a long time ago, but I don't trust you. So I'll be the one who sits in the chair. And I sit down the chair and I said, you want your husband to orbit around you. And I got up and I walked around the chair when I got done doing that. I'm sitting behind the chair and this is what happened. I said, dear God, what am I supposed to do next? (laughs) Because I've never read this, never seen it. And I'm like, what is next? And all of a sudden it just came to me. And I looked at the man, I said, do you love God? He said, yes. I said, do you really love him? Yes. And just like Jesus asked Peter three times, I asked three times, I said, do you really love him? And he teared up and tears were on his face. He said, yes. And I said, I believe you. I said, ma'am, do you love God? And she says, yes. I said, do you really love him? I said, yes. I said, do you really love him? I looked up and tears started running on her face. It was just a God thing. Literally a God thing. I've, I've never used this again in, an, in a counseling se- session at all, um, but it was just a God thing. tears flowing down her face and I'm sitting behind a chair and this is literally what I did I clapped my hands and I smiled real big and I said congratulations I said you guys are going to have an incredible marriage and they're just looking at me like dumbfounded and I said you just told me who's going to sit in the chair I said sir it's not you and ma'am it's not you but instead it's him God's going to sit in the chair and together you're going to orbit around him. And then I began to talk to him. What does that look like in practical terms? And I described how he was going to have to build trust. I talked to her about how you're going to have to forgive. And she goes, and she looks up because I pause and she goes and forget. And I said, no, I said, God doesn't even forget. And that shocked her because we always say forgive and forget. But he doesn't forgive and forget. He forgives and and remembers no more and remembers no more. And when you look at it in scripture, it's not really talking about that he forgets. It's just saying that he's not going to recall it and use it against us. I said, ma'am, I said, you're always going to know what he did. I said, but you can get to the place where that you never bring it back up and use it for vindictive purposes. Well, today they have a great marriage, they have family, he's involved in ministry. It's just an amazing God thing. Well, years later, I'm sitting in a uh, hotel lobby in Dallas, Texas, and I've got a couple leaders that have flown in from elsewhere. Um, one of them was a Baptist uh, leader. So we're working on a nonprofit and someone says, well, what does the flow chart look like? And I grabbed a piece of paper, a napkin, and I actually drew out a napkin, this, this circle in the middle of the napkin with these smaller circles all around the outer side of that circle. And I drew little lines and I put a little arrow in front of one of the circles. I said, this is you, 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 and all around these little circles. And I said, together, we are orbiting around the center. And the center is the common purpose and the core values. Um, Two years ago, a year and a half ago, I was teaching this at a church and I felt led, I was teaching leadership to about 17 leaders in the core leadership meeting. And I felt led to draw this out on on a whiteboard. And I drew it out and in the room got really quiet. And then I turned it to uh, the senior pastor and he walked up and he said, you may have noticed everyone got really quiet. And a couple of people looked at me. He said, the reason is right before COVID, I was praying, God, what do we need to do to move our church forward? And he said, God gave me a vision. And he goes, and multiple people in this room have seen it. He goes, it's on a piece of paper in my office. He said, it's identical to what you just drew out on that board. He went back and showed me this piece of paper. And it's identical to what I drew out on the napkin. Well, lo and behold, after I drew it out of the napkin, a few years later, I actually found it. It exists in corporate America. Mm -hmm. This, this flow chart of everything being orbiting around the center, being the purpose and the values is in existence in corporate America. It's not widely known. And so I've taught it over and over again. I call it the chair principle. Um, I'll write a book about it. I've got the notes, everything's there. And um, I just got to, Finish writing it. And mm-hmm. so that's your principle.
1: Well, that's that's pretty cool. Great way to think about it. A visual also, because you have a visual in your head to think that if we can just get ourselves, our vision, our mission, just centered around God. And if we can just orbit around it instead of thinking that everything else is supposed to revolve around us, that if we revolve around him and around his purpose together, as a united body, then we can make some things happen. We can make some real things happen. I believe it. I believe it.
0: I believe it. I believe it.
1: (laughs) So I love that. I love that. I'm glad I asked. I had no idea what it was about, but I'm so glad I asked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it fits so well with what we're talking about. And it has become foundational in in how everything I do and how I think. Mm -hmm. So.
1: Yes, and and the and the principle and the you know what what it really is about what leadership is is about and how if yeah. we can be good leaders, but we make sure that we know where the source is and what the purpose is and what the mission is, that you know, we can be successful.
0: That's the so, core of everything we're talking about. Absolutely,
1: or yes, the
0: practical absolutely. things and all the other things, but you've got to understand. That the center, you've got to understand it and align with it and the rest of it. It'll make sense then. It'll make sense why you use this personality profile, which is what we use, but you can use others. It makes sense while you use um, job descriptions and ministry covenants. It makes sense why you would do an evaluation. It's because you're, you're not trying to um, build something to, you know, for size and numbers you're about changing lives and the only way to truly change life is that you got to get people aligned with god's agenda and and then when you expand on that beyond then as as you know different ministries and companies organizations you better know what your purpose is and and you better align with your uh, values and and all of that adds up to creating culture i mean culture is becoming a buzzword um but the simplest definition of culture is personality It's the personality of a church, personality of an organization. And so what are the essential elements or the key elements in culture? Well, it's values. And so you got to know the reason why. That's your purpose. And you got to know the how. And the how is uh, about values. And so the why, purpose, how, values. Because values are lived out in your behavior. So you want to know what someone values? Just watch their behavior. And so I've seen people say, oh, I value teams. I value this. And then they're short with other people. They're smart aleck with other people. And people down, like, No, you don't value that. You value your opinion.
1: Mm-hmm. You don't
0: value teams. Or you value self-preservation. No one's going to talk down to you. No one's going to hurt you. That's not a bad value. But that cannot override teams right. if you're a part of a team. So evidently, you don't want to be a part of a team. You just need to go do your own thing because you're, you're pretty short with people. And and you, you override people, and you don't really care about people. You care about yourself. So rather than say that you care about teams, forget the teams. Just, just be about you.
1: <laughs>
0: and so I can get really blunt with all this if I need to. <laughs>
1: this is all good. I appreciate it. And I'm actually wanting to go into my next question, which makes perfect, is going into this kind of segueing, is about personality types. Because there are very different personality types that – and that we have to kind of consider when making up a team. So my question is, is, is there a personality type that does best with leadership responsibilities?
0: Ultimately, no. Um, every president of the United States, I say every president of the United States, uh, every personality type can be found. You can find presidents of the United States that exemplify those personality traits. Um, the Apostle Paul, if you use the DISC model, you um, D-I-S-C, the Apostle Paul would have been a dominant driver. The Apostle Peter would have been an inspiring influencer. Um, You would have Moses would be a steady supporter. And uh, Timothy would have been a cautious contemplator. Uh, The dominant driver, you know, opinionated, get to the point, quit telling all these stories, um, give me a quick survey. I can make a decision, let's move forward. We're wasting time, but not do anything. And Paul demonstrated that, you know, like, I'm going to go here. and Holy Ghost said, no, I'll go here. And this one thing I do, I press, you know, he's very much uh, of a dominant driver. He doesn't mind opposing the apostle Peter. He marches right in Jerusalem. He's not one of the original 12, but he marches right in Jerusalem and opposes the apostle Peter. So he's a dominant driver. The apostle Peter, uh, both big picture people, and uh, he's a big picture person and but yet he is inspiring. he's animated he's like we'll do this we'll do that but he doesn't have a whole lot of the discipline uh he's people oriented he's not task oriented paul was task oriented apostle peter uh, is people oriented and then you've got moses who's like the apostle peter and that he's also people oriented but he's not big picture he is very much about um details and so steady supporters make up the largest percentage of the population and steady supporters um They they want to take care of everything and help everyone and be supportive of everyone. That's what Moses did to the extent that he tried to be the number one counselor of a million plus people. I mean, he killed himself. He's actually praying, God, let me die, you know, because of the low. But that's to stay supportive. So he was a great leader. But he had to, you know, adjust. The Apostle Peter, some great things, but he had to adjust. Apostle Paul, I in mean, the same thing. And then, of course, the cautious contemplator, uh, black, white, uh, no shades of gray. It's rules. And you got to abide by those rules. And I'm not going to take your word. We're going to make sure that this is accurate. And there you have the Apostle Thomas and incredible people. And so on a team, you need all these different aspects. I tend to be an inspiring influencer. My okay. secondary trait would be that of a dominant driver. And that's a learned behavior uh, over the last decade plus uh, of trying to make things happen and move forward. My wife is a cautious contemplator, which means that we have nothing in common uh, okay. because, you know, I'm big picture people. She's details, tasks, but together we make a great team. And so when I'm at uh, moving forward with things and so like, tbc i stepped in just now starting my third year so i've been there for two i was trying to build a team well i'm looking for someone that can help me like my executive assistant who is a cautious contemplator or steady supporter and Mm -hmm. she has both traits she's incredible but she's got things she's got skill sets that i don't have and uh very very thankful for that so i don't need a whole lot around me that's inspiring influencer because i'm the i -hmm. Uh, not that we don't have that on the team but i'm just saying that's not my personal i don't need that i need uh, some people that are s's and c's and and i's or d's i should say so when i look for and building a team i'm always trying to get people to understand that okay if you're a c you may need someone to help paint the big picture for you and so you're trying to team people up at the church we've done the same thing we now make it a requirement uh, at the church that if you're going to be involved in leadership you have to take the disc personality And then if you step in and lead in a particular ministry, okay, well, then um, you need to build around you and your team. And you need to look for someone that complements. And so then we look for where is the stage of the organizational life cycle? Is it thriving or is it a place where you need to build? Do we need an entrepreneur? Well, entrepreneurs are usually D's and I's and so you need an entrepreneur do you need someone who can just make it steady and just continue moving forward pl- you know just plodding along because everything's you don't want to mess anything up it's just be there and be supportive well you might be able to use an s in leadership and so you're always looking at the variety look at the personalities god our temperaments some people call them temperaments and uh but just look at god god gave that god created us those ways and uh and so but understanding that can make a big difference in leadership
1: Mm -hmm. and sometimes I think that we want to get there are some teams that are like we want to get everybody that thinks like us that does the same thing like us because we want us all to be on the same page when reality if you get all the people that are think like you then there's going to be a lot of things that are missing so if you've got a lot of people that have big visions and have you know these big ideas but then you don't have anybody on your team that knows how to follow through right a big idea it's just this really big idea and you're just like yeah but who's going to actually make it happen happen on the day-to-day and make it make sure that all the details the dates are being met and everything and so um you know sometimes having somebody who's kind of your opposite in some sense may be a little bit uncomfortable because they don't think like you but that's actually like a good thing i think people sometimes forget no that's a good thing because if we're not like each other that means that we're going to be able to do different things And we're going to be able to accomplish the goal that we need to accomplish together.
0: Which means that you have to have self-awareness. You Mm -hmm. understand where your strengths reside and where your weaknesses are. And uh, if if you don't know that, the best way to find that out is by listening to people around you. But if you, if you have a poor self image, you're going to really struggle with that because you're not going to allow uh, your yourself to hear uh, constructive criticism and uh, you're going to shut that down and you're not going to create a safe place for people to speak, and yeah. you become very limited. It doesn't mean that you can't be effective; you can be effective, but your effectiveness will not be at the level it could be without allowing the other to be built around you so i'm I, I've noticed that some of the greatest leaders are leaders that are very comfortable with who they are and they understand their weaknesses, and they just build people around them that have those strengths and um that's how i've um that's how, how I try to lead as much as possible because I've I've seen it demonstrated and it's amazing.
1: Yeah, I love that you have people that you are working with or on your team in the church that they are asked to Um, if they're going to be involved to to take part in that personality the discs because that really does help you to understand help themselves first of all be aware like you said be aware of who they are and what they do and what their strengths and also be able to have church leadership understand okay this person has this gift this person has this gift you know this would make a really great person to be on this team for greeters or sunday school or or whatever you know the task is instead of kind of maybe having them for a while and then realizing, oh, they're not quite, they're not quite
0: fit out. <laughs> We've made enough mistakes through the years that we know that there's a lot of value in doing the disc. So, mm-hmm. and there's others out there that the disc is, empirical research shows that disc is um, number two, most effective. Social styles. When I looked at it a couple of years ago, social styles was number one. Disc was number two. It's very similar to colors. Uh, I just like it that you can have the blend with the disc colors. You can't really have the blend you know, and uh, you're just limited to the four and, but it's cool. Colors is great. I love hearing it. I've been <laughs> in seminars and listened to it. I wouldn't mind being certified in it, but disc is very, very effective. It's about as double effective as uh Myers-Briggs personality. Mm-hmm. And we're talking two years after it has been taught that people being able to retain and utilize it. That's what they say is uh, how the disc is most effective. So, uh, of course, the Enneagram is a big deal now. I just never get remember all the numbers. My daughter says, everybody thinks you're a seven dad, but I think you're a four wing five when you're healthy. And I'm like, I thought I was healthy right now. I don't know what I am. <laughs> but when she reads it, I'm like, yeah, I think that's me. And we have a lot of fun with it. But this, this is one thing I think is so important. It, it doesn't put somebody in a box. It just helps you understand that when a person is demonstrated this type, of traits this is the best way to communicate with them this is the best way to react and when you can understand that i need to give a moment i could be i might be a c sometime and i am there's sometimes when i'm writing i can become very analytical very much you know uh in a creativity mode melancholy uh it would be a c i can get there and so when i'm in that mode you may not want to come and be an eye around me right now because you're probably gonna drive me nuts um when i'm in a in a d mode and i'm ready, let's go 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 um, you're asking all these questions and slow me down. It's driving me crazy. And and so I have to recognize that and go, okay, wait a minute. I'm talking to a seed right now. Um, they're not trying to be rude. They're trying to be, uh, they just have questions, slow down, answer their questions. Don't be the dominant driver right now. And uh, all those things help me lead better. And then when you can recognize people, I walked into rooms and taught leadership at a church and uh, didn't know anybody didn't know, really know the senior pastor, never had seen his wife before, never seen some other leaders. One hour of teaching, teaching about values, we're using sticky notes, we're putting them on the wall. I then started teaching disc, and I said, before you reveal your results of your of your assessment, I said, let me tell you what I think each one of you are. And I went around the room and I had had every single person. I knew this one was a D, this one was an I, this was a C, which meant that now I not only know how they operate and I understand them, but now I appreciate what they bring to the table. And if I don't understand then I cannot appreciate. And so sometimes we get frustrated at people when we really should, should be appreciating what they bring to the table, but we don't understand it because we don't utilize the tools like this. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, one of the things I know you said, that you also attended Jackson college of ministries and uh, I did too. I told, towards the tail end. Um, but brother Kai Larson, um, before he passed, that was a couple of years before he passed. That was one of the things that he had us do in our class. And to this day, knowing that I am melancholy and choleric and understanding my personality type has kind of been something that has gone with me, remained with me for the rest of my life, understanding what that means and yeah. um, and how that has kind of helped me to understand me so I think that that's great just having that that awareness and then being able to you know build a team and know how to respond Mm -hmm. so I am going to go into my next question and I wanted to ask what is the best way to develop individuals into leaders because once you understand what their personality type and once you know kind of where they're at then from there As a leader, what is the best way to develop leaders or young leaders or anybody that is wanting to participate in leaders in the church and wants to grow?
0: Thank you for asking that question. I had someone just uh, within the last two weeks um, set appointment and talk with me, and they they wanted to know um, basically what you're asking. And they were driving at the fact, what is the material? What is the book? What is the... You know the one, two, three, four, five you know steps and all and and I pointed them in some direction uh, with some of that. I said, but I said the number one thing that you can do is create a culture in which um you you celebrate growth and so a culture again, going back to the personality of of a organization or a personality of a church, and so that culture has got to be one in which um it, it's got the values for growth. And so, again, you know, culture, as I stated earlier, it consists largely of values. And so values are lived out in behavior. So you create a culture for it. So I'll give you an example of some things that we have done at uh, the Pentecostals of Katie and talking about it, growth and creating a culture of growth. But well, we have a ministers in training class every Sunday. We have years of, of material to teach. But it's not about the material that is taught in this class. It's the culture for the growth. Um, we have a safe environment. Uh, we we allow people to try things, make mistakes, get up and try it again. And so an example of that is we have Sunday night service, Sunday night, man, our choir is saying it's a big deal. But on Sunday night, we'll turn around, and periodically, we will have um, seven, eight speakers get up, and they preach five minutes each. And it seems like old school, but we're doing this on a Sunday night. Some of them are 16 years old. Some of them are a little older, that but I never public spoke before we've had them get up and make mistakes i mean get up and and just little things and we'll go back and we'll teach and then we'll give them another opportunity to try it again and that's what jesus did jesus would demonstrate it he would teach it and then he sends them out they come back oh we couldn't cast the demon out what are we supposed to do now and (laughs) he went back into teaching again but it's a safe environment for people to fail and so all of those things are cultural elements. Uh, we're big on serving. And so we, we do all, we use tools, we give out uh, a towel, like, you know, everyone's got to find a place to serve, but we don't meet um, people with the brow. If they start in one ministry and like, oh, I don't think this is going to work. They check out go into another one. We we celebrate it. And we, we're not like, oh, you, you quit. You quit her? <laughs> we're like, no, man, you tried it. Let's try another one. And so we create this culture of which we're just trying to grow people. And it permeates all the way down throughout the church to where that, um, the singers that lead worship, many of them started off leading worship in children's church and in preteen, they were playing the keyboard. We have people playing the keyboard right now in preteen that last year at 12 years old played in our main service. Wow. I mean, played and tore it up. Incredible. Singers, the same way. Speakers. Uh, we have a Christian school. They get up, they preach. They preach. They're 10, 11 years old. They're getting up, they're speaking. And so you just you create a culture in which people uh, are celebrated because they tried. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you've got people that are growing, leaps and bounds. And then are the practical things, uh, ministry covenants, or what a lot of people call job descriptions, a very mm-hmm. practical tool to give some parameters and say, okay, this is what we're expecting out of you um, we'll teach in the in the ministers in training we even have a junior ministers uh ministers in training class uh for juniors and we will teach here's how you speak uh here are things you need to do when you're praying with someone in the altar this is what you do when you go to the hospital and so a lot of practical things this is how you memorize scripture this is how you memorize names i still don't have that one down well uh this is how you and, I, and we'll do a lot of practical things and but it's not the lesson it's the it's the environment Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. that's really great and i think sometimes we tell people somebody i hear it all from the pulpit you know god can use anybody god can use you god wants to use you but who are the people that were given the opportunity to be used or given the opportunity to practice what they're using do we only use the young men you know do we only use you know the certain people that are of a certain age do yeah. we only use you know but and but creating the culture of you know we use the young women and we use the young men and the young and the old and no matter where you are you know if we say that God can use you then we mean everybody yeah, and if absolutely. you make a mistake if you make a mistake I love that if you make a mistake you know what that's okay you know keep going or, or maybe that's not for you maybe there's something else that god has called you to and this we is had, your
0: story. we had one of our and, and he's it just turned in early thirties, and he's a great guy. But he'll get up, and every now and then uh, he'll mess something up. He was up a couple of years ago, and he said, "You know, make make sure you're here at this friend's Sunday." He said, "This could be the service that when your son finds a husband and your daughter finds a wife, and all of a sudden everybody goes like, uh, like that." He goes, "No, oh, no, wait a minute," and we laughed and laughed, and, and he just, but we love him, you know. No one's like, "Ah, you're not gonna get back up there again and speak." It's like, no, you know, get back up our next Sunday. Let's do this again. <laughs> and and we have I could go through a lot of other stories. They're they're funny, you know. And uh, but anyway, I could go on and on, but safe environment um to to try things. And um and, and then, you know, there's only so much pulpit time. So um okay. not just about the pulpit in the main sanctuary, but it's the pulpit at the nursing home. It's the it's the one out knocking doors, and and so we celebrate all those people. And, and there's not like, oh, this is more important than this other. No, we're we're all involved. And so we got people involved in ministries all over. I'd say probably close to sixty something percent of our church, including this is on the Sunday attendance. That would be the proof of people, I'd say about sixty percent are involved in a ministry somewhere and normal is about twenty percent. So we're about three times above the norm. Well,
1: wow. I I really love that my church too is a lot of the we've several daughter works throughout the city and you know you're going to find me playing the piano at the uh, bilingual church you know on Thursdays I'm probably not going to play at the main service and that's okay but you know I I get to play and help and be on that side of church but it's really wonderful because you know what it's I'm still the piano player you know I may not be able to do it at the main service because it's incredible talented but it's like everybody has their place that they can do something Amen. you know what if i mess up it's okay they still love me you know they're like it's all right sister lorraine that was so good you know but just a place of growth a a place of growth of just like you know encouraging we appreciate everything that you're able to do which obviously makes me very Happy and thankful, and makes me keep wanting to go because oh. if you were to be like that was terrible, oh my goodness, you know <laughs> then I'd be like, "I'm never coming back you know
0: oh, I love it, I I, love but,
1: it but you yeah know, that's not that's not how it is, and so i'm I'm thankful for the that the appreciativeness of anything that we can give and also the good feedback um the just you know the like yes, thank you we we appreciate. We appreciate what you do in ministry. And so that building that culture, as you said, to be a safe space of like, it's okay. We didn't even hear that mess up. It's all right. It's all good.
0: We all need to be encouragers,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: encouragers. And, you know, when you transition and leadership is always transitioning, um, I I, I keep using this term the last couple of months is that um, I'm a temporary. Every leader is just serving temporarily. Someone will take your place. And right. so in that, you have to keep in mind that what is my role in serving in this time frame? Well, I need to be faithful. Mm-hmm. I need to be faithful. I need to be a good steward. I need to move things forward as much as I can. But as I'm doing all those things, I need to be an encourager because someone's going to come after me and I need to encourage. I need to encourage. Moses is still amazing. Moses in the transitioning, turning things to Joshua. The Lord had to tell him, go and encourage. He had to tell him repeatedly, go and encourage. Because Moses knew how to be the critic, but he didn't know how to be the encourager. And I, I think that in everything you're talking about, creating the safe place, and environment, and you're training, you're developing people, um, you, you've got to be an encourager. It, you can't always say, here's your mistakes and point out all the mistakes. You've got to be an encourager because you're raising up the next generation. And uh, one of the best ways is, I mean, they get up and they're young and they're, 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 the context that they're preaching from is not that great, but an encourager. I needed encouragement last night. Last night I spoke at a men's rally. I text my wife and I sit down on the front row after it was over. They were giving out some door prizes. I sit down on the front row and grab my phone and head my head down. And I text my wife and I said, it was absolutely horrible. I said, <laughs> it was Horrible. And then I was like, and I'm prideful to even say that it was horrible. I said, I can't (laughs) help it. I just feel like it was horrible. And yet I had people just like, man, and text me even this morning and how that I was listening. And that was a God word for me and on and on. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think we all need encouragement and we all need to be encouragers.
1: Yes, and one thing that I did learn, I remember I was at the Deborah Project one year and um, Sister Bernard was leading this ladies kind of thing. And, and sis, we're talking about being a leader and how you um, deal with people that are in your youth group. And I remember Sister Rachel Calthorpe saying that, for every negative thing that you say to somebody you or or criticism or something, correction, that you have to invest 10 good things into their life, say 10 positive things, because the negative things are the things that people hear the most or that they're the damaging, they're the ones that they hold on to. But if you can invest at least 10 good interactions, then that one maybe correction or even just criticism or not even maybe criticism, just helping to turn them in the right direction that it's not going to be as terrible as if all you do is deposit in these negative things and these criticisms, people aren't going to take it so well. And it just becomes something that they uh, create internally for themselves and carry because as human beings, that's who we are. We often, we often dwell more on the negative than the positive, even though there's so much more positive than there is the negative. So having an understanding of that as a leader is is a really big thing to be able to be a good leader
0: well said well said
1: so i i'm i'm glad that you mentioned that that you're like we need to be encouragers yes. <laughs> so be I encouragers. <laughs> a leader. i
0: encourage you dr lorraine you're doing good <laughs> Thank you're doing you. well with this podcast it's gonna grow it's gonna make a difference uh, love was- it
1: I wanted to ask go into my another question before I kind of lose my turn of thought again, what is the best leadership structure that can be put in place in, in a church?
0: You know, I, I go back to, I used the term a little ago, job descriptions, ministry covenants. Uh, one thing I didn't talk about was, um, was the need for evaluations and mm-hmm. I need to back up and, and, and just stress that the majority of churches, the median average size church in America is sixty people. That's pre-COVID numbers. Not we are seventy-four on that average. It's actually the median average, and it's sixty. Um, the average size church in America, uh, and median would be if you add all the church, line all the churches up, you pick the middle church. You know, of the smaller and the large, that's sixty. And the average size church in America uh, would would be right at one hundred and eighty-six people and I'm in meetings and I talk and I teach and and I'm teaching with leaders and I ask how many of you have job descriptions? And there's very few. Very few churches have them. And they'll say they understand I understand the importance, but they've never they've never implemented them, they never moved forward. And yet leaders get frustrated because people aren't doing what they expect, but they've never laid out the expectations. So job descriptions are paramount. I mean they're so needed. And the second thing would be, especially for leaders, is um, evaluations. And evaluation is a tool that enables you to mentor people. It's a mentoring conversation. It's not, oh, this is your job performance. It's not a job performance base. It's really about what are your goals for next year? Where are you headed next year? Do you have those goals on the calendar? Are they? Is there an action plan? How did you do on the action plan from last year? What would you do different? Um, And then you're you're mentoring, you're you're coaching, as opposed to like, man, they're just not moving this thing forward. This needs to change. And now you're going to have the tough conversation with someone, the confrontational conversation that can be tough and it can be offensive to someone. But when you understand that this is just part of the process, then it becomes exciting and you want to have those evaluations. We have created such a culture right now. Uh, be okay with evaluations, we have people coming to us asking for their evaluation. Hey, I haven't had my evaluation yet. Can I have my evaluation? <laughs> and so it, it's it's a positive thing. It's a, it's, it's a really a cool time. And so those are just some basic tools. And so bringing some kind of a structure, organization uh, is very important. Along with that, uh, monthly meetings, uh, mm-hmm. weekly meetings for some. Um, a lot of times, things just get lost. Uh, they fall through the cracks just because um, and we say, well, we have a communication issue. Well, no, you really. A lot of times, you just have a structure issue because you never met, you never had the conversation. And so, one of my favorite books by Patrick Lencioni, and again, he's not a, a Christian writer; he's writing business. But he writes this book called "Death by Meeting," and hmm. he's not saying that we're going to die in meetings. He was just saying, if you don't have enough meetings with the right purpose, then you're going to you're going to kill your organization. And so it goes into the different types of meetings you should have. And it's extraordinary. I love it. I I want to understand it better and better and apply it better. And so um, those are some just some simple things. But uh, bring in some structure, organization. And surprisingly, if you'll listen to the C's and S's, they can help you make it happen. D's and I's, man, they'll mess up structure and the details. But those S's and C's, they get it. And so it's back to working together as a team, helping to pull together the right kind of structure and um, have an agenda—all those things are are basic for me now. I don't, I, I don't even think about it. I just it just happens, you know. It's almost like breathing. But back in the day, when I first started, they were all revolutionary, revolutionary to me because I'd never seen anything like it. And I have to remind myself. I think a lot of people don't know that they don't see that. And so when they hear me say these things again, they're thinking, "Oh, that's a lot of work to put that together." And they don't understand the value of. They don't understand the culture that it creates. And so that's the my new book um uh, the leadership fame It's actually 5 reasons churches thrive and i basically talk about those very things and how to bring that about in the culture so
1: well, I have one more question to ask you and then i want you to tell me about all of the books that you've written so people will know where to get them but i one of my friends asked me and said this is something that i want to know so please ask And are there any tips? And I know you've kind of touched on a little bit in the beginning. Are there any tips that you can give to those who are going through a leadership transition in their church? Because as you've said, You're probably not going to be there forever, you know, no matter who you are, what you are, eventually, you know, God is going to call you home or think God's going to call you in a different direction or somebody else is going to step in. But for those churches who are maybe going through a leadership transition of a pastor or a youth pastor, what are some of the practical things that you would say would be helpful in that time of transition?
0: Well, from a from both the person transitioning out, the person transitioning in, and those that are being affected by the transition, um, the number one thing is being an encourager by far. Um, along those lines, um, and this has got to be driven largely by the person's transitioning in and out, is that um, you, you've got to create open and honest communication. And uh, that takes a lot because uh, you have to have both people have to be, very uh open and willing to have that open conversation but uh trust is so important you you can't really get too far with anywhere without having trust but trust comes through um having an open and honest conversation and that takes time it takes time getting to know one another understanding the difference of personalities uh you know you'd have an open conversation with a dominant driver pretty easy um as far as just being open now you'd be careful because if that person is not um, has some insecurities. They can turn around and crush you. Uh, but once you develop that trust between each other, you can have a very open conversation with the dominant driver. But a costless contemplator, you may need to be careful in how you choose your words. You can crush them, and so um, y- you know you'll, you'll hurt people. So understand this personality differences, and then creating that trust is a really really big deal, um, man. There, there's so much to talk about transitioning. Um, I'm actually writing right now. I'll have it done by the end of this year. A book called uh, "Next Level Leader," and I'm talking about when you step into new things and and what's going to happen. And this could be any level. I mean, even right now, at in my 50s, stepping into a new. Um, position and being president of the school, I'm in that transition of a next level leader. And so I'm writing a lot about these things. I talk about one of the chapters that I'm actually writing right now. I'll be working on it. When we get done with this podcast, I'll start working on it again. I'm trying to get it done, hopefully in the next week or two, but I'm writing about don't crush the critic.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: everyone's going to, they're going to criticize, you're going to hear criticism. Right. And the worst thing you can do is crush the critic. On the flip side of all that is, is, is beware of flattery. And because uh, flattery is one of the top reasons why CEOs get fired is because they know they need to make changes. Otherwise they wouldn't be the new CEO. They know they need to make changes, know they need to move forward and yet people resist change. So they will use flattery to try to keep you from making the changes that you need to be mm-hmm. And it's a failure in within CEOs and it's empirical research. It's an amazing article. So I'm going to be writing about that after I get done with this chapter. Uh, and so there's just a lot of little things managing chaos, being expandable uh is really big and um uh, and so anyway, i've got fifteen chapters i won't bore you with all the details but uh, but there's there's a lot there in the transition, but at the top of the list, being an encourager, developing trust um understanding the personality differences I see a lot of transitions in churches, and mm-hmm. it is a tough Time because people are being used to one leadership style and now there's a new one and understanding the personality difference is humongous and and not only understanding but appreciating you have to appreciate and understand and appreciate big big i've had people in nice size churches and the change took place and all of a sudden the leadership's in their dominant driver and i've had people with tears rolling off their face going like, I'm trying to serve. I don't know if I can handle this much longer. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, you know what? You need to understand and appreciate. And when they do, it's amazing how the ship begins to take place. And now they love that leader and they get along great. And there's a lot of great things, but you really have to appreciate those differences.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Dr. Wilson. I appreciate all of the insights that you have given us. I could think like we could probably do a part two, part three, because there's so <laughs> many great things, so many other things that I would ask. But um, I think we're going to we're going to um, end the podcast and maybe have you on at a later time um, just because of time's sake and because I, I know it. it there's a lot of stuff and you've got things that you've got to do. But I wanted to, before we end and before we give on some closing remarks, where can you get the books? And I know you, how many books have you written so far?
0: Uh, I think eight. You've it's gotten- hard to remember all the, I think it's eight right now. Yeah. So, yeah. I realigned was the first one required reading right. for general license. Seventy was the second that's required for ordinations. Both of them translated to English. Um, well, they're written in English, translated to uh, Spanish, French, and uh, recently Mandarin. Wow. Uh, is in Mandarin, and so then I wrote leading growth, and then after leading growth, I wrote productivity. And uh, that's the rodent running on the spinning wheel, but he's not going anywhere. And sometimes we're busy and we think we're going somewhere because we're busy, but we're not really going anywhere. We don't have our purpose. And so I made up the word to uh, the rodent running and productivity, combined it together and called it rodentivity. And the definition is thinking that to be busy is to be productive, and it's not. Mm -hmm. And then I wrote rhythm, which is actually how to get things done. And then after rhythm, uh, the difference maker. The difference maker is uh, seven key principles on making a difference. Probably my personal favorite. It's just straight from my heart. No references, no cites. It's just it's just straight from my heart. And then I co-wrote um, uh, the spiritually healthy leader, okay. and then uh, the new one that's come. And that's all about some um, practical things and being spiritually healthy as a leader and then the new one coming out is um the five reasons churches thrive and now i'm finishing up um uh what i call it while ago (laughs) my mind just went blank about being the next level leader and uh, they will be done by the end of this year. Next year, my wife and I are going to co-write a couple books together that we've been uh, working on. I've got another one that I'm work- going to be working on with my son. I'm waiting for him to finish his uh, Masters of Divinity. So mm-hmm. I've got a stack of about, uh, about seven more books and seven, eight more books in the works. Most of them have a lot of research already compiled. I just need to sit down and start writing. I, I did uh, write 70 um, for business leaders. I wrote that, and it's ready to be published. We're just waiting for the right time to pull the trigger. Uh The books can be found at Pentecostal Publishing House. Okay. Uh You can also get the ebook at Pentecostal Publishing House. You can find it on Amazon. And okay. then uh, multiple of the books are on Audible, and some of the older ones, uh, Realign and, and Seventy, were written almost about 10 years ago. Both of them are now being put on Audible. And okay. so uh they continue to move forward. So I'm very, very thankful. Thank All you for right. asking.
1: So yes, the Autobooks and then Amazon, I know I've seen them, and then Pentecostal Publishing House. So you've got all those books and then more books that will be coming later next next year with your wife and your son. So those are all really wonderful projects i know the next one that i really want to get is about the the healthy leader the spiritual healthy leader that's another one i mean there's so many of them i want to get them all but in my line of stuff in counseling and stuff i'm that i think that's going to be the next one but eventually i will get to all of them but i appreciate all the you do the work that you have put into just helping pastors and leaders and our organization to um reach their po- full potential and in doing so uh it benefits the church it benefits the the work of the lord so Dr. i Maroon. appreciate that i appreciate that so much is there anything else anything else that you would like to add in closing before we end the podcast anything you'd like to say to our yeah. listeners about leadership yes. or anything at all
0: I, I i do have one thing i want to add thank you <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you for asking me to join in i love as you can tell i'm very passionate about it i love making a difference i try to be, make a difference i love talking about leadership and um, I give honor to all of your listeners, and just um, just keep growing. I mean, I, I was that home missions pastor pushing a lot more, saying, "God, I just want to, I want to make a difference." Tears running down my face, and uh, frustrated. And I could be speaking to someone right now that's frustrated and uh, wondering, "How am I ever going to get moved forward?" And um, you, you can do it. You can do it. Just just don't give up. Just keep moving forward. Don't quit. Don't turn back in the day of battle. And uh, you'll get there. If God spoke it, God said it, God will bring it to pass. And It may take years and a lot of it very frustrating. I've been there. I know. I know was it's like to go for years of frustration and feeling as though I'll never get there, never get this out, but what's inside of me. I feel like I've got to share it. I've got to do something with it. And then just watch God start pulling pieces together. And it's just an amazing journey. I'm so thankful. And so thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be able to share it to your audience
1: thank you Dr. Eugene Wilson it has been a pleasure and to all of our listeners we hope to tune in for you to tune in soon to the next season of the exchange podcast god bless everybody